What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Tonight's top story, Israel versus Palestine. We'll be shaping your thinking to help it make sense to you why many on the left are actively cheering on terrorists who are murdering innocent civilians, including babies. Okay, here's some hypocrisy that can be mocked. LGBTQ, anti-Israel, pro-Palestine. Palestine has no LGBTQ rights. <laughs> Israel does. When you can illuminate an area where people are blind to, that tends to be funny. It is Tuesday. This is the Sean Spicer Show. A lot to break down for you. Let's start in the world of politics, though. The financial reports of all the campaigns came into the Federal Election Commission and were released. So let's break down where everybody is right now. The Biden campaign initially had been raising money and not spending it. And that kind of drew the concern of a lot of folks. Uh, initially, they hadn't even spent like a million bucks and they hadn't really put a headquarters in or hired some staff. Well, that changed real quick. His campaign is now spending a million dollars a week. They're up on ads in battleground states. And I, as I've traveled around, I was in New Hampshire this weekend, as I said, um, you can see these ads. They're larger than MSNBC. I mean, then again, I don't know, maybe there are more, but it's almost like they're shoring up his base. And I am sort of intrigued this far out. If you're an incumbent president with no real primary, I mean, Marion Williamson is the only one primary in the guy and she keeps laying off staff and has no money. So let's just say he has no money, uh, no primary challenge because RFK has announced he's running as an independent. So why is he spending all this money? He's clearly building out staff and, and I get that. That's interesting. But they raised $24.8 million. Um, and across the quarter, that brings in $71 million. Now he has the advantage because he's the nominee of partnering with the DNC right now uh, as one united front. The Republican side, and that includes Trump, until you become the nominee, that, that's not how it works. But Trump, on the Republican side, led everybody. He raised uh, $24.5 million in the third quarter, which is more than double of any other candidate on the Republican side. Um, this, is, this is big, right? You need money to hire staff, to go out and do door-to-door -door stuff. Um, now, I think they had thought they were going to bring in a lot more, but remember they have all these joint fundraising committees. Um, so they, they, they will be fine. Um, his leadership pack for the campaign only raised about 54% of what the joint committee raised. So we'll see how this all shakes out. But the bottom line, when you really look at this is that 
he is the big dog in all this. Um, and one of the things that they highlighted was all the merchandise, the selling of the mugs and the T-shirts with his face on it from that mug shot. Um, it's clearly resonating with a lot of folks. Now, DeSantis was burning through cash in his campaign. He seems to have cut back um, a lot on that. And it's going to be an issue because it's the super PAC that they're relying on. Now, I want to show you something. If you're if you're listening to this on Apple, let me just, or Spotify, let me tell you what I'm doing right now. I was in New Hampshire and they had all the tables out for all the candidates. And interestingly, I didn't see a Pence table. And We'll get to that because there's some things. But since I brought up DeSantis, I want to show you this for the people who are watching and I'll explain it to the people for listening. These are all bumper stickers. Here's Trump. Here's Haley. Here's Asa Hutchinson. There's Asa. And then here's DeSantis's. Now, why am I showing you this? Because at the bottom of DeSantis's, and this was his table as well, it doesn't say paid for by DeSantis 2024. No, it says never back down. That's his super PAC. The super PAC, which has, according to this, 97 million bucks. So this is where they're they're running their campaign. This is the first time in my entire life I've seen anything close to what DeSantis is doing. Their, their super PAC is paying for the events, the swag, everything. The ads, go look at the ads. At the end of them, when they talk about who pays for it, it's the super PAC. And this is their strategy right now. No one's ever done something like this before. The way they're doing it, um, it may not be the most effective cash strategy, meaning that campaigns get lower rates for ads than super PACs. But at the end of the day, if you're not raising the money through your federal campaign, you might as well have the super PAC pay for it, especially if they have over 90 million bucks. Anyway, um, the other candidates, Haley did well, Christy did well. They're both bringing in uh, well over... 10 million bucks a pop, that keeps them alive. Um, there is some concern about both the Tim Scott and Mike Pence. Tim Scott's super PAC pulled down all their ads. Now they're trying to say that, well, it's the primary and no one's putting a dent in Trump, so they're gonna save it. That's simply not the case. That might be a good excuse, but the reality is they don't have the money. And Mike Pence's campaign is reporting a deficit. They're spending more than they're taking in. Again, a problem. I said this before, Chris Christie doubled down on New Hampshire, by the way. He talked about how he's in New Hampshire and he said on the record, this is something that I've been saying very clearly for a while, but he said it now to make it official, that if he doesn't do well in New Hampshire, and I think well is at least second place, you're out. I think if Pence doesn't do well in Iowa, and I think DeSantis too, they're out. I don't know how you spend all this money and tout yourself as the number two guy, and then don't do well in those early states where you've doubled down in. Anyway, the other big thing that's happening right now is, is I mentioned this before, RFK is running. Now, there's a good, line, a good thing and a bad thing happening. Some of the early polling, and this goes to Trump, shows that in all these battleground states that Trump can win. He's right now up 42-37 in Arizona. That's good. Kennedy's at 8%. In Georgia, Trump's up 41-38. That's plus three. In Michigan, he's up 40-38. In Pennsylvania, they say it's tied. There's another poll that came out of, um, uh, the other day that shows up shows up nine. So on the one hand, I want to make it clear. Um, Trump can win all these battleground states. Everyone who is wetting their bed and sniveling and saying, oh, Trump can't win. Yes, he can. Cut it out. You may not want him to win, but the reality is he can win. 
the polls show it. The battleground polls show it. And we're way far out. But there is concern about who Kennedy's taking from. Now, some would read these polls and say, okay, look, all these polls show Trump doing well. And in fact, winning. And yet Kennedy is at 8% in almost every one of these states. So he's got to be helping Trump. I would disagree on that. I'm telling you, I think that actually right now, Kennedy's hurting him and Trump could be doing better. Think about what Kennedy campaigns on. It aligns so much with so many of the people who are supporting President Trump. So I'm just telling you right now that, and, and what concerns me, and I brought this up before, initially, Cornell West was running on the Green Party slate, and that was better. He had some more ballot access. They had some infrastructure because it's actually a, a, you know, a political party. He's now entirely running as an independent. That's going to make it harder to get on the ballot, harder to get any kind of, you know, um, infrastructure behind you to go door knocking, to give you lists. So I'm just telling you, I think third parties make a big difference. And right now, Kennedy's the only viable third party. And I think that hurts Trump. And the proof is in the pudding. When Kennedy announced the only two people to really put out big statements were the RNC and the Trump campaign. They see it in the data. They know what's happening. They know who he takes from. It's not a gut thing. They know it. They've pulled it. They've looked at the data and they found out who does Robert F. Kennedy take from. Look at his Instagram page. Look at who's praising him. It's the people on the right. It's the people at Fox News. It's conservative media where he's spending most of his time doing his interviews. He's appealing to them. He's not appealing to Democrats. Talk to them. They don't like the guy at all. They think he's nutty. I'm just telling you right now, here and now, if you're worried about Donald Trump getting or any Republican getting elected or Joe Biden not getting elected, then worry about Robert Kennedy. So I want to move on because there's a couple other things that are important to get. I mentioned this yesterday. The third RNC debate is going to be November 8th in Miami. I called this. I said this three weeks ago and everybody said, oh, I had sources who told me this was going to happen. I'll show you the tweet right here. Long before this, and nobody, everyone's, you know, sort of, oh, we don't know. We can't confirm. I did. That's why I'm telling you, you watch this show, you know things people don't. So look at the tweet, see the date stamp. I called this a while ago. The RNC, by the way, denied it to several reporters after I tweeted it out. Said nothing's final. It was final. They just didn't want to admit it. So the NBC is going to panel with Salem Radio, which is great. That's the home of Hugh Hewitt, Dennis Prager, Charlie Kirk, Seb Gorka. Salem Radio is great. They're going to also partner with the Jewish, uh, the Republican Jewish Coalition and Rumble. Now, just to be clear, Rumble's role is to stream. They have no role in the debate. So you can love Rumble all you want. I think they're great. They are a vessel of free speech, but they're not playing a role. There's no one sitting up there asking questions. The Republican Jewish Coalition, you saw what they did to the uh, young uh, America's Foundation. They picked, cherry picked a question on climate change. This is, we get one question and said so it's a partnership. Who knows? But who's going to divide, who's going to moderate this? Lester Holt, Kristen Welker, Chuck Todd, Andrea Mitchell, you name it. What are we doing? You want us, well, hey, call the DNC and see if they'll host the debate. This is crazy. What are we doing? I, I just, I really worry about where the party's headed. We can't choose a speaker, but we can choose a debate partner on the left. 
This was an act of choice. This was sanctioned by the RNC. They chose them. Just so we're clear on this. Um, lastly, I want to just mention this gag order that the judge issued in D.C. saying that Trump can't make statements that publicly target special counsel Jack Smith, his staff, her staff, or any other court personnel. Now, Trump's came out right away and he was like, yeah, whatever. I have a, I have a right to say this, free speech. You heard Alan Dershowitz on the show here talk about this. They can't do it. He'll appeal. And also, what's the penalty? We all know he's going to blow through it. I mean, you think Trump's going to just not say anything? I don't think so. Anyway, uh, lastly, before we get to our guests, I just want to say Biden is headed to, to Israel. Just remember, because I know the media is in free fall to talk about how great of a job he's doing. And I think we've, we've talked about this with David Friedman. I asked Dave Rubin about this yesterday. Are they doing the right thing now? Yes. But let me just be clear on this. Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, just what, 10 days ago, said that the Middle East is at the, like the lowest point that he has to worry about in, in several administrations, meaning that peace is great, everyone's getting along, and then this happens. And the weakness in Iran, the idea that they unlock $6 billion, if they think that they want to get them back into the JCPOA, the, like, these guys are so naive. They created the circumstances that allowed this all to happen. They took their eye off the ball. They empowered Iran, who funds Hamas. And now they go, hey, let's run in and be the heroes. Look, the, the situation is hot. I want to make sure that we're in there protecting our citizens, getting back our hostages and helping the Israeli people. But let's not forget how it happened. I know the media wants to do everything it can to suck up to Joe Biden and talk about how he is. And because this is it. They know right now the polling shows he's too old. People don't think he's up to the job. So this is the media's way of showing, see, he's up to the job. Here he is getting on a plane, going to Israel. They're doing what they, they're using this situation to prop him up. They're not reporting. They're editorializing. And I just want us to not forget this because this goes back to what Rahm Emanuel, and I think it's paraphrased, but don't let any crisis go to waste. And this is what the media is doing. They're using this as an opportunity to prop up Joe Biden and talk about, see, he's up to the task. He may be 80, he may be taking a nap, but he's up to the task. They created the circumstances that allowed this to happen. They took their eye off the ball and now they're basically saying, hey, we're gonna go help solve the problem that we created. Don't forget that. Don't let the media forget how we got here and what he's doing. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day, and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. All right, I'm excited to introduce to you our first guest, J.P. Sears. He is a comedian and cultural commentator. Uh, his Awakened with J.P. YouTube channel is hysterical. Uh, just trust me on this. Go to it, you will laugh. He, the takes he has on what's going on with the media, 
in culture and society is hysterical. He's got a brand new book out called Chomp, 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 The Snap Fast Challenge, which explores peer pressure among children. The lack of self-relegation is my pleasure to welcome to the show, JP Sears. JP, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Sean, you're very welcome. I appreciate you having me. Well, uh, congratulations on the book. Um, I'm looking forward to, to chatting with you on this. I think the thing that's fascinating is for folks who haven't seen the videos that you put out, uh, both on Instagram and, and YouTube, what 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 inspired you to start doing this? I mean, I think it's just like, we'll get to a couple of them in a second, but what what got you to the point where you said, you know what, let's just make a video and mock this stuff, what's going on right now? Yeah, I'll give you two answers for that because I've had like a sort of a reawakening of my career, my mission uh, about three years ago. But in the beginning, nine years ago, I, you know, October 2014 is when I uploaded my first comedy video. And the reason for that, it was, it was just a way of letting my natural sense of humor be expressed. I was having these ideas like, hey, I could... I could express this idea through the language of comedy. Humor's always been supernatural to me. But I don't know how to make a comedy video. So let me let me just make one. Uh, but I, So I made one, and it really woke something up inside of me. And my career since, like, I'm so fortunate to be able to make a living through comedy. But my whole career since, it's been a happy accident. I didn't plan it. I was just thinking I'm going to make one stupid comedy video that probably nobody's going to like, but it'll amuse me. But then three years ago, you know, the whole pandemic happened, spring of 2020, and I start to see freedoms getting eroded in the U.S. And that woke me up to realize I've been taking freedom for granted. I've been entitled. I've been ignorant to how precious it is and just taking for granted, it's always going to be there. It's America. So just following the guidance of my heart, I really wanted to use my voice to stand for freedom while calling out what I would say are the lies, hypocrisies, and corruption that I was seeing seemingly erode our freedoms in America. So, you know, my current mission to help awaken people to protect, preserve, and celebrate the greatest God-given gift will ever be given, which is freedom. Uh, I was woken up to that. Do you, uh, would you say you had freedom privilege that you need to denounce? I do. I, I want to denounce everything. Thank you, Sean. That's why yeah. we're here. I want to denounce my freedom privilege. I realize also I'm a redhead. I just want to say biggest minority on the planet uh, as far as groups go. So I will use my ginger status as a way to victimize myself. But also while we're here, may I denounce my whiteness? Well, I was going to bring it up, but I'm glad you did it. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I assume you're referring to your room. Yeah, the room, the white walls, they can, a lot of glare comes from them. So I just wanted to apologize. Yeah, that's that. what I thought. So when you say um, awaken, and it, did, was it that you were susceptible to just partly kind of... Uh, appreciated the freedom more or were you, did you consider yourself maybe somebody on the left or somebody who didn't appreciate conservative values? I was that. So before my awakening three years ago, um, I was never into politics, but looking back at, I, I was on the left, you know, I was all about like, you know, it's raining outside because of climate change and 
uh, Trump's bad because I keep hearing people tell me he's bad. So, you know, I guess he's bad. So looking at myself, I definitely fell on the left and I had lived in California for 10 years. So do you know, there was some, I was infected a little bit. And yeah, I, I fell for the brainwashing, like, oh, conservatives are kind of like, you know, they're kind of unevolved, uh, not very good people. And realizing, man, I've had so many beliefs in my head that aren't mine. They have been put there. And I'm someone I've protected myself from the media for a long time. I've lived without a TV since... 2004. So I would never watch the news because I know it's just fear mongering. But even with that, it's, I still got infected with beliefs. And part of those beliefs, you know, were having me think these beliefs that are someone else's software running on the hardware of my mind, these beliefs are my own. But when I just really started thinking critically and making sure I'm doing my own thinking and looking at a belief and asking, why do I believe that? And some of them would track to like, well, I believe this just because I've been told it. But then I start like analyzing that subject matter, President Trump, for example. And I'm like, I think something completely different than I used to. So it was a big awakening for me. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you start to put these videos on, and some of the videos on YouTube have millions of views. Well, anyway, I know know large audiences, JP, trust me on this. Um, When did you realize that you had something? About a year into making comedy videos, uh, because I... Like I said, I didn't have a plan. It's all been a happy accident. But after about a year of occasionally making a comedy video, which could have been anywhere from once a week to once every uh, once a month, about a year into it, I realized I think I'm tapped into a sustainable well. And my audience was growing I mean, way more than I had imagined it ever would. So, But that was also externally reaffirming that what I'm tapped into is something special for me because I left of my own accord. I, I probably wouldn't have recognized it special. So kind of codependent, I needed some of the reflection from the outside world. So about a year into it, I realized, yeah, I, uh, okay, I've got something. Then another year after that, I quit my previous day job of being a health coach, personal trainer, nutrition coach, and went all in on this weird thing of comedy. It's funny though. I, 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 one of the videos that I love uh, that you've done is the mansplaining video. See here, a man explaining to a woman that clouds are made of water. It's a fact that she would not have this understanding unless this kind gentleman was explaining it to her. In this case, mansplaining has become man-helping. Let's take a closer look at the woman's reaction. 
You can clearly see by her reaction that mansplaining has positively changed her life. You can see it in her eyes. These are her eyes. It's it's so real. Um, how how do you decide what's going to be? I mean, is it just hey, you know, what's funny is like something that's completely counterintuitive, or or do people suggest things to you? How do you come up with the material? Yeah, first off, my formula for selecting content it starts with it's either got to be relevant or amusing to me, and I don't right. really worry like what do other people want. Yeah, it's like if it's relevant or amusing to me, if it's relevant to the mission of freedom and helping awaken people to do their own thinking, use a sort of satire that cut through the scar tissue of wise hypocrisy, corruption, uh, propaganda, or if it's just amusing to me, like in a, a mansplaining video, like to me, that's just amusing. <laughs> so in other words, with- You did hit the, uh, I, I will say this, you, you hit the nail on the head on that one. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Which probably means you do a lot of mansplaining in your life, Sean. Well, let me explain what I'm talking about. Yeah, please. If you could, if you could, before I cook you dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I, with with an idea, and I might see news headlines like, oh, that's an idea. And sometimes, you know, I'm just taking a walk and ideas flop into my mind. It's if I'm emotionally moved that tends to qualify as relevant or amusing in my book. So you've got this one that just came out called Why Why We Lie to You News. Good evening and welcome to We Lie to You News. Tonight's top story, Israel versus Palestine. We'll be shaping your thinking to help it make sense to you why many on the left are actively cheering on terrorists who are murdering innocent civilians, including babies, which also includes cutting the heads off of babies, kidnapping children, and burning people alive. We have our work cut out for us tonight. Walk us through where you sit there and are basically shredding the media's coverage of, of the events going on right now, particularly in Israel. How did, what was the impetus behind that? Yeah, so in in uh, just for viewers who uh, don't watch my content, first off, uh, I'm a little bit offended. I feel excluded by you not watching. But just to explain to viewers, I've got reoccurring segments called "We Lie to You News." You know, I'm at a newscaster desk. You know, it's, everything shredded. News. Yeah. So the impetus of that was in 2020 between the election and inauguration there was wild stuff happening. And, you know, it, and it actually started with um, when the, the Associated Press came out and declared Biden won the election. Look, you guys have no authority. Like, it, it, this could be really bad if he actually didn't win the election. Now you're setting up like this civil war scenario. So there were things like that where I wanted to like, kind of help cut the tension in our country. And it's like, well, there's so much going on. How do I do this? And just the idea like, I'll, I'll do it like, I'll act like I'm a newscaster. And then more stuff would happen. I'm like, well, I could actually reuse that concept. There's new information. And you mentioned the shredded, like I wear a shredded suit. It started, I was in like a actual suit but the first handful of newscaster videos as our country was getting more and more inflamed in division between the election and the inauguration, 
I would progressively add rips and holes to the suit just as a way of symbolizing what the hell was happening. It, and, and how is that? Do, do, do people not, is there a line of funny where like people say, okay, you're funny, but it, all your jokes are on the right? Or do they, do you, do people on the left appreciate the humor as well? People on the left probably mostly don't appreciate my humor. <laughs> And there's some exceptions. So, you know, obviously I have a lot of conservative values. So it's just natural that conservatives will uh, probably feel better about my work. But, you know, I, I got to tell you, uh, when I hear about people who are liberals enjoying my work, like, hey, JP, you really made me think here. Or, you know, a conservative saying like, hey, you know, my my family, my sister, whoever, they're on the left, but, you know, I send her your videos and it's like that opened up a conversation for us. So I, I do, though, probably most of my base isn't on the left. It does warm my heart when <laughs> I hear people on the left will watch my stuff and actually be amused by it. Because, heck, if you can't laugh at yourself, then you got problems. And by the way, I also I, I like to be self-deprecating of conservatives because we need to laugh at right. ourselves as well. We have our blind spots. So using humor to illuminate some of that is certainly one of the intentions. Were you worried about taking on an issue like the coverage of Israel and some of the stuff that's happened? Where's the role of comedy in a serious uh, situation like we have right now in the Middle East? It's a great question. It's not easy because you, you, you look at Ham Hamas just brutally what they've right. done. I, I don't even want to say it because it's so terrible. There's nothing funny about that. So the first question is, where is something available to be mocked? Certainly not the murders of innocent people. So the angle I took on that, because it's like, ah, I got something to say. How do I say it? And what's the backbone of it? So what I decided to mock was the uh, a lot of the leftist organizations like BLM, LGBTQ, they're so pro-Israel or uh, so pro-Palestine and pro-Hamas, and it's like, okay, here's some hypocrisy that can be mocked. LGBTQ, anti-Israel, pro-Palestine. Palestine has no LGBTQ rights. <laughs> Israel does. So that is the basis. Like when you can illuminate an area where people are blind to that tends to be funny, in my opinion. So yeah, it, it's certainly anything like that. It's a touchy subject. And I'm, I don't like to use like dark humor. So I have to consider where can something be mocked? Because everything can't be mocked. Right. Have they ever tried to, have you ever tried, to, or has the left tried to cancel you thus far? Or has a video had some sort of boomerang effect yeah, yeah, yeah. They try to cancel me. I would be insulted if they didn't. I would feel <laughs> like I'm not doing, right. uh, I'm not serving the mission well if they didn't. And, you know, when I see things like that, like, uh, what was it, a handful of months ago, the, uh, and, I, and I'll say this as gently as possible, the degenerate news organization, Vice News, they wrote a big smear piece on me. They've done several. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Vice. Weird how you went bankrupt, but George Soros is uh, bought you now, so I'm sure things are going to get better. Right. So they wrote a big <laughs> smear piece on me, and, man, it's amusing. 
But I'll tell you, uh, and I'm grateful to say I don't feel affected. I actually, when I see things like that, I take it as a sign of encouragement. You know, if Hillary Clinton came out and said, I'm a big J.P. Sears fan, I would need to go into a dark cave and do some serious self-introspection. But Sean, I, you know, I, I know you're, you're, you know, you're on the front lines as well. Yet, you know, I, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but something I've learned about cancel culture, it only works if you consent to it. Right. You, it only, and how people get tricked into consenting to it is through the emotion of fear. It tends to be either cancel culture might come for me or they are and I want it to back off and I don't want it to happen again. So when people fear losing what can be taken away, you are in a consensual relationship with cancel culture. You are an obedient slave to cancel culture. But when people don't fear what could be taken away, which by the way, some things can be taken away, money, status, platforms, uh, you know, uh, associations with different companies, those things can be taken away. Yeah. Side note, those aren't what really matters. We See, know m- money status, that can't make you happy. But being on purpose, having friends, family, that actually makes you happy. So when you don't fear losing what they can take away, you are not controlled by cancel culture. You are not consenting to the living in the frame that they're trying to get you in. And you can look at some of the Mount Rushmore uh, figureheads that have, they try to cancel them all the time and they only get bigger. You have Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, Dave Chappelle, some really powerful figures. We can learn from them. We can see what's different about these guys. They don't consent to cancel culture. And we could also say easy for them. They probably got plenty of money in the bank. And yeah, that probably does make it easier for them. Yet we can still learn from their example. Yeah. No, I wrote that down because I think that's absolutely right. I mean, if you don't, if you won't, if you won't back down and don't care, you win. Um, it's funny. I know you said you don't listen to the news a lot, but I, I one of the things that caught my eye and I wanted to get your take on it because I knew you were coming on is the Today Show did this piece. Um, it was the year or the day, the International Day of the Woman. And they were celebrating these women who have been on the forefront of women. And Dylan Dreyer, who is the weather meteorologist there introduced one of these women and said, and I'll play the clip in a second here. So she says that she has uh, created this line of gender inclusive menstrual products. Let's take a look. In 2020, Nadia ventured into the business world, launching August, a sustainable and gender inclusive period care line. Now, Nadia is bringing together female founders, including Beatrice and Yang He for a larger cause. All right, JP, uh, I don't want to ask, but I mean, is this something that you think uh, has wide appeal to, to those of us who also don't menstruate? It, I mean, uh, call me brainwashed, but yeah, it appeals to me. You know, Sean, I have never been tempted to buy menstrual products. Really? Yet, after seeing that segment, it's first on my shopping list. It so, is. I mean, what a great... I, I just, like that. But the inclusiveness, I think I, I do appreciate. I've always felt left out of this discussion. And now I feel welcome. But uh, I do want to yeah. get on to, to this book uh, because... So so walk me through. I, I've told people just, you know, I, I wrote a book for Brave on on the dangers of fake news. I've got kids and I understand how a lot of times they get brought into... 
uh, scenarios where they get accused of things falsely, i.e. like a Nick Sandman type case. Why did you want to write th this book? What, what was it that really inspired you to write this? Yeah, you know, the book, it's called Chomp, Chomp, Chomp. Uh, very proud of the message. What inspired me to write it? The dangers, uh, you know, dangerous ideologies that are competing for space in children's minds. They're so pervasive. We know we have to protect children from those things. But also, we have to provide solutions, alternatives that will be positive forces and for children, instill good morals and values, teach them the beauty of thinking for themselves. So with that, if I could, I've got a three-year-old little boy, if I could only instill one thing in his precious mind as his father, only teach him one thing, it would be, son, always do your own thinking, be in touch with your heart, and have the courage to follow your heart and your own thinking. So I also wanted to share that with families around the world. So that's ultimately the message in this book, because it's the most important message that I think I can give my son to support him, not just now, but through the rest of his life. So, so is it that your warning of, of peer pressure, social media, what is it that, that you fear as a dad and, and as an author in that book? I think ultimately the the fear, uh, what we what we want to improve on is having our children, whether it's present day or down the road when they're adults, having them betray their own thinking and their own heart, and the temptations to betray their themselves. Oftentimes, that's in the form of peer pressure. And I noticed during you know the last three years. I look at the adults in the world and I realize there's a message they never got when they were kids. And that is resisting this coercion of peer pressure in the name of being true to themselves because the, the, the form that peer pressure takes uh, in our world the past three years is called obedience. Yeah. That's the same thing as peer pressure. And I don't think anybody's ever going to be truly happy, fulfilled, and have rich meaning in their life when they have a mindset of obedience, because not to sound... So what, so what do parents do? Aside, I mean, they read the book, they, the kids can understand the issue, but what, what do you tell a parent now of a seven, eight, 10-year-old? Yeah, you know, I think the why question is good. You know, we, we're used to our children always asking us why, why, why. But also I think children deserve to have that question gifted back to them regularly you know, talking to our kids about anything, what they want to do, what they think. And we get to ask, why is that? Why? Because it helps, helps the child track themselves back to their own thinking. Why do I want to do that? Why do I believe that? So in other words, if critical thinking is a muscle, we want to help our children exercise that muscle so it becomes very strong and very sustainable. It's going to be strong for life, and especially with children because they're impressionable. If, if they learn to use this critical thinking muscle as a, a child, that neural pathway is very ingrained. But if you're 30 years old, and we, we can all improve, but if you're 30 years old and then just trying to start this critical thinking You've got some neural pathways, habits that are going in the other direction.
Okay. JP, congratulations on the book. Again, it's Chomp, Chomp, Chomp. Where can people get it? Yes. Uh, if you'd like to check it out, I'd be honored. You can get it at bravebooks.com. All right. Bravebooks.com. JP Sears, uh, thanks for entertaining us, making us laugh, and, uh, and doing your part to, to help bring up the next generation. Uh, well, thank you for that, Sean. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you, your voice, and your work. Yeah, thank you very much. All right. Thanks for being with us again today. Please, reminder, please subscribe both on Apple Podcasts and on YouTube, Rumble, everything. But going to as many places as possible, it helps us grow. Shows a big show to, shout out to the sponsors. Uh, and if you want to join the conversation, you can either go to my VIP page, seanspicershow.com slash VIP, or text me, 571-441-4991. Uh, I enjoyed that conversation with JP Sears. If you haven't checked out his videos, go look him up. I'm telling you, it's hysterical. The stuff that he does, the one on mansplaining, I'm telling you, if you're a guy... Go watch this. Send it to send. You may annoy people, but I'm telling you, send it to your uh, to your loved one. Uh, they will probably get a kick out of it because it is hysterical and true. Uh, we've got some great guests coming up later in the week. Carol Swain will be here, and Congressman Kevin Hearn. He is from Oklahoma and the chairman of the Republican Study Committee. He was that dark horse for speaker, which of course we will continue to break down that whole race for speaker tomorrow. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you right back here tomorrow on the Sean Spicer Show.